The Brad Sessmat Show, broadcasting live. It's good Thursday. Thanks for being with us. John Smoltz, the Hall of Famer. I caught up with John earlier. He had a tea time. Um, and it's always good to catch up with John Smoltz on spring training right around the corner. The Diamondbacks and Rangers, the offseason, all things on the major league front with John Smoltz. That is coming up. Uh, Kalen Jones is going to be with us today from The Messenger in Los Angeles. Kalen, of course, many years ago was with us here at Sports 360. And he has blazed his trail. He's in Los Angeles. That's where he grew up. He's plugged in, dialed in. He's been covering the NFL. Um, did so with Bill Simmons and then moved over to The Messenger. And I want to get his view on the Jim Harbaugh announcement from last night that they have hired uh, Harbaugh to be the coach of the Chargers. And also Chip Kelly. There's a lot of stuff around Chip Kelly I'll get to in a minute. Opening comments are brought to you by Desert Financial Credit Union. Desert Financial Credit Union taking care of you, taking care of your business. As always, and through the years, Jeff Mishi and company, they do it right. That's a Desert Financial Credit Union. We appreciate their ongoing support. Um. Yeah, I watched the Suns game last night, you know, regular season NBA basketball and me don't really mix well together, uh, although it was an interesting matchup for sure. And I don't know, when I watch a game that's on ABC and it's Mike Breen and it's Doris Burke and Doris gets choked up in the open because Doc Rivers is leaving. I like Doris Burke. I'm not one of those people like, I can't have a woman telling me what to do. Annie Myers-Drysdale was over on the local broadcast last night. Um, and she's great. So it's Doris and Mike. Mike just, and he is, he is, his check comes from the NBA. So everything is amazing. Everything is, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable basketball. This is so amazing. This is so awesome. This is, this is, this is, and he's a Hall of Famer and he's got a big bank account. I, I'm, all that stuff's fine. I'm not banging on him. I'm just looking at it saying it's a January game. Like Charles last week on TNT, they had the Bulls in Toronto. And they had him taste testing some soft drinks on the air because, and I think he said something like, we got to do something because we have the Bulls and Raptors coming up. This whole NBA, these are the, this is rivalry week, right? So you have the play-in tournament, which nobody's talking about now that December's over with. And then you have Christmas Day, and now you have rivalry week. Man, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for the Mavs and the uh, the Suns. I thought it was interesting in the pregame show that Kyrie was out with a thumb injury and Stephen A. and Michael Wilbon were just kind of chuckling about, yeah, okay, a thumb injury, yeah, whatever. So it's regular season basketball because of the writer's strike. They got to put NBA in prime time. I get it. I get it. And it was, you know, it was entertaining. There was a dust up with Nurkic early. I'm coming to Kevin Durant's Kevin Durant's defense. Booker went crazy with 46. I watched, you know, I watched Luca say and do his thing, having a fan throw out. There's all sorts of things to try to create interest and buzz and clicks and impressions. And but at the end of the day, when it gets to mid-April, does this really mean anything? No. Oh my gosh, the Suns are really playing well. Yeah, because kind of just waking up, kind of, and they kind of. I don't know. They have everybody back. So this is what you're supposed to see. It's a good brand of basketball. I don't know if it's a good brand of basketball when it's 102 to 101, either up or down a point in game six against Denver and you don't have a point guard. I don't know that. 
I know that February 9th is going to be very intriguing to me as to what the Suns do with the rest of their roster. You know, they won last night without Gordon, who was injured. It's, again, mid-January, third week, January basketball. Some of you watch this show every day. You're going to be like, Brad, when are you going to get off this regular season stuff? I don't know when the regular season's about over. So it's it's fine. It filled two, two and a half hours, sat here in my office, had it on the background. It wasn't like I was glued. Um, and, you know, that's that. The Harbaugh story is far more interesting to me. Um, yesterday as it progressed. So here's the thing on Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers. And this comes from somebody that grew up in San Diego. This comes from somebody that actually did the Chargers pre-post, was involved in their broadcast for years before I came to Arizona, and the Spanoses own the team. Spanoses, like for some reason in my career, I've come across owners that aren't very good. The first owner that I had to cover was Donald T. Sterling with the Clippers in San Diego, who used to make his head coach, Paul Silas, wash towels. I couldn't get to Paul Silas until after he put the laundry in. True story. At the gas station, affectionately known as the LA, or the uh, San Diego Sports Arena, which is a dump. It was a dump then, and it's a dump now. Kobe swap meet, for those of you with San Diego ties. Um, I had Donald Sterling. And then I had to deal with the Spanoses. Spanoses made some good hires. Bobby Ross, one of my favorite people I ever come across. Bobby Bethard was terrific to me early in his career, in my career. Um, Marty Herney, who's still in the NFL, Billy Devaney. There's some strong, strong people with the NFL that poured into me. And we saw the product for what it was on the field. The Spanoses, though, always made things hard. And Alex and Dean, and now John, there's a reason when you pull up stakes and leave San Diego, which should have never happened, um, some of it, from my view, was political with the stadium. Some of it was just, we're just going to go to the bigger, better deal. How's it worked out for the Chargers in LA? Just wondering. Like, how often are they selling games out, outnumbered by the opposing team's fans, haven't done anything really right. I'm going to talk to Kalen about this coming up at 1030. So you can hire Jim Harbaugh. You can. You're in a market where what moves the needle? Hey, honey, Otani is playing, LeBron is playing, or the Chargers are playing. So let's just go, you know, mid, uh, you know, it'd be like mid-August, Right. Mid-August, you were just wondering about should you put your tickets away, your money away for LeBron, or do you save it to go see Jim Harbaugh try to turn around the hapless Chargers who've just been a misery of an organization? You know, obviously here in Arizona, if I'm to finish the thread on owners, I've been around. Your Cardinals just, I don't know, I'm not picking on them. It's just, what is what does the win-loss record show? In fact, what does the win-loss record show for the Cardinals? Somebody can dig this up. Since they left Tempe and went to Glendale, how many wins, how many losses for the Cardinals since they moved to Glendale? Have they been precipitously better? Well, they went to a Super Bowl. Yeah, and that was when Ken Wisenhunt was here. And that was a long-ass time ago. So I've had these owners that, you know, they talk a good game. We saw what Robert Sarver did to the Suns. For some reason, I get these owners that come rolling. How many owners with the Coyotes, by the way? Just how many? 
You can even go to Arizona State on this discussion with the incompetence on the athletic director, president, coaching side. Just We would like to just have something that is a straight line. <laughs> I just really like to have that. So Harbaugh gets a five-year contract, but what does it really mean? If the ownership is not great, or it's forced PR, or it's just trying to bully your way through, um, is Jim Harbaugh going to stick around for that sort of thing? Yes, he's won everywhere. That's an easy argument to make. He has. He's been great at it. But is this really going to move the needle of change? You have a quarterback there that I don't think is given his best football. Now, is that because he has not had the best coaching staff around him? Probably. It's got some questions, in my opinion. Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler are older. So it's fascinating that Jim Harbaugh would leave because the trickle-down effect just continues. Like, I was talking to somebody yesterday. They called me yesterday, and they didn't even know that um, – that U of A had lost Jed to Washington because the coaching thing has been so fast and furious. And they didn't know that there was a change in athletic director at U of A. And so what's the better job? Is it U of A or ASU if you're an athletic director? That's a very fair question to ask. Both places have big problems, um, huge problems. The debt sitting there around U of A, their aging stadium. ASU, the NCAA has not finished their investigation, has not ruled on it. They're running in a deficit. They have a basketball arena that has to be replaced. Nobody wants to replace it. And, you know, I think I keep hearing Crow is going to leave at the end of this year. I do. The end of this school year. That he'll announce around March or April that he's out, peace out, and it's going to be the next president's problem and the next athletic director's problem. It's out there. So there's a lot there to chew on. Um, Tonight in college basketball, I got asked to do something interesting by the NCAA. A bunch of us in town did. I not going to be all about me on this one. A bunch of us got asked in media to do a mock selection of the NCAA tournament. And we've got a, I have three conferences that I've been assigned to. Uh, the MEAC, Big Sky, um, and the American. So over the next three, four weeks, I have to, on my own, rank, critique what teams go in from those three conferences. Then all of us that have been getting, I think Greg Moore from the Republic is in on it. Um, I think Mike Morocco's on it. I, th- I, th- I, think, I think the TV guy might have been Mark McLoon over at three. Um, Bruce Pascoe, I believe, is in it. If, if Bruce is on it, Bruce should do it for all of us. So he's great. So, but I've got these three conferences that I've got to sit and rank. And then we're going to a dinner and we've got to go around the table for a couple hours and make our case, make the argument. The NCAA is going to be a part of this. So they can't be everywhere. And it's just a metric of us sitting and watching, but I've got to go through all these steps. So watching a lot of basketball and small conferences will be part of my deal. I'm curious about that. I think it'll be kind of fun. Um, and tomorrow, tomorrow's the Arizona Broadcasters Association luncheon. And Bruce Cooper, our good buddy, does some stuff here at Sports 360. He's being honored tomorrow. So I'm very, very happy for Coop. Some of these places that do the honorings and the big gala events are nothing more than we just have to sell tables. That's it. You, you're just like, really? Or it's a media company who's sponsoring it. So what do you know? The media company people all get in. It's a joke.
Or, well, we put up a poll on this website, so this person got asked to be in. So they just tell their buddies, and they go get the clicks, and then they go sell the clicks. It's just dumb. But this one's, I'm very happy for Bruce. I'm going to be there to uh, see him go in tomorrow. All right, John Smoltz on the other side, and then Kaylin Jones from Los Angeles. I'm Brad Sussmat. All right, the big story, Jim Harbaugh goes to Los Angeles, and I was thinking about Kalen Jones this last week because he's in the middle of all of it in Los Angeles, and, like, I have to have him on with the messenger. We've had Kalen on in the past, and he is, of course, dialed in on the L.A. sports scene. I'm just wondering from a standpoint of, and actually the NFL as a whole, just wondering from the standpoint of today, less than 24 hours afterwards, did the Chargers finally do something right in Los Angeles, Kalen? Because they've done nothing right since moving from San Diego. So, Well, aside from drafting Justin Herbert, I mean, this is probably the second most revolutionary thing, and it could end up being the most revolutionary thing. I think that they did get it right this time around with their head coaching decision. And obviously, you know, hiring Brandon Staley was a gamble. Um, obviously, he had a lot of success with a very talented defensive unit with the Los Angeles Rams and wasn't able to translate that success over to the Chargers. But with Jim Harbaugh, I expect that the Chargers running game will finally be in order offensively, you know, taking some of the burden off of Justin Herbert to perform at a high level consistently. I expect that the defense, which has performed atrociously over the past few seasons, um, to really step it up and at least be competent which really is all that Justin Herbert needs. There are a lot of numbers. I think it's, uh, you know, the one-score games. I can't remember how many it is. I think it's 22 one-score games that the Chargers have lost simply because, you know, their defense has been too leaky or there's been poor game management or something has gone wrong. But this feels like a match made in heaven. You know, quirky uh, John Harbaugh, excuse me, Jim Harbaugh with, you know, the Los Angeles Chargers. And I think that there's a lot of potential there for, you know, the potential to be finally unlocked that we've been talking about around the Chargers for years. Okay. You mentioned, you used the word quirky. So I covered the Spanos when I was in San Diego, actually was doing the Chargers pre post game show, all that stuff. Quirky would be like, I don't know at the bottom of the list I would use for them. This is the first guy, Kalen, uh, and we're just talking about the business of the, of the league. It's the first guy since Norv Turner that has come in that you just look at and say football guy top to bottom not that staley wasn't but it felt like a control coach there's no way the dean spanos I, I shouldn't say no way when it comes to spanos's there's very little chance that dean spanos could walk in and say jim this is what we're doing so a match made in heaven on the surface but you have an ownership group that's one of the worst in the nfl facts are facts uh what do you make out of the ability for Dean and John to get along with Jim and how did Dean and John convince Jim to come to LA or is it just it's LA I can deal with these crazy owners I think that there's a lot of potential to make it work you look at the Chargers roster granted you know they are one of the teams that are in what people would call cap hell or salary cap hell where they have a lot of veterans who are you know on the back end of their career they are being paid a lot of money. There are decisions that will have to be made. Players like Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, you know, cornerstones of the franchise that they will have to decide this offseason whether or not to move on from. They've invested a ton of money defensively 
um, and haven't been able to maximize that at all over the past two, three seasons under, under Staley. And I think the biggest difference between Staley and Harbaugh really will be the culture. Granted, I, I loved what Staley was about. I think that, you know, he tried to show empathy, wanted to relate the players, wanted to do the right thing, and obviously really uh, dialed into analytics, which I think is a positive as well. It just didn't come off well. And, you know, at the end of the day, football is, like you said, it's about football people. And, you know, Harbaugh, you look at everywhere that he's been, whether that's been at Stanford, whether that's been at Michigan, whether that was the 49ers, he has been able to resurrect programs and, and franchises and turn them into successful, you know, organizations. And I think that really bodes well for the Chargers, considering where they've been in so long. It feels like they've been sort of in purgatory. We've been talking about their potential, you know, ever since Justin Herbert emerged on the scene. We've been talking about their potential, you know, since Phillip Rivers and the 2007 Chargers. And I think that now you finally have a head coach who has a track record of being able to get over the hump and get his teams into positions where they should, where really they have no business being. And I think that Harbaugh is going to be able to replicate that success with the Chargers. How about the side story, Kalen, of they don't have their general manager. So usually you pick the general manager and then the coach. But is this just going to be a player personnel guy? Because let's be honest, Jim Harbaugh is going to be the decision maker on the roster. Is that how this is playing out? Or do you see it going traditional at some point? They'll get a big name GM. The two will work side by side. I wouldn't be surprised if Jim had full control over how the roster is aligned, especially, again, because of the big cap decisions that they'll have to make. I'm sure that he'll assess, you know, which veterans um, on the team are worth keeping and which ones are, you know, ready to be discarded. So that way they can, you know, try to alleviate some of the salary cap strain that they have right now. It's going to be tough for them, you know, to bring in a new general manager, I think, and try to, you know, work through all of that um, alone. So I, I figure that Harbaugh will have a pretty significant hand in shaping the roster regardless of, uh, whether they bring in a player personnel specific general manager or if they want someone who can run the full operation on their own, which I don't think will happen. Okay, flip this around. You mentioned Justin Herbert earlier. You just, if we're talking specifically about him, has he reached his potential? Did the coaching staffs, the previous groups not get enough out of him or it's Brad? He had, they had injuries. Eckler was hurt this year. Keenan Allen was hurt this year. Or when Antonio Gates left, his career came to an end, and down the line they didn't replace this guy, this guy. You could go through the whole roster management, but has he really gotten the most – have they gotten the most out of Justin Herbert, Kalen? Personally, I don't think so. I think last season with Kellen Moore, uh, we started to see the offense open up a little bit more. The, you know, in previous seasons under offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi, um, the Chargers offense was very conservative in terms of its passing game. There weren't a lot of deep shots, um, you know, weren't targeting the intermediate parts of the field a lot. It was a lot of quick, short games, similar to what we saw with Drew Brees in New Orleans, you know, later on in his career. And that's not who Justin Herbert is. The guy is six foot five and can throw the ball, you know, 70 yards downfield, you know, with hardly any room. <laughs> He's a cyborg. And, you know, I, I think that we saw the offense start to open up a little bit more under Kellen Moore last year. I think once they are able to complement Herbert with a great running game, or not even great running game, just a competent running game, that's really been the issue for them. Their offensive line is okay. Their running backs are okay. Eckler, obviously, like you mentioned, he was banged up, but he's on the tail end of his career. I wouldn't be surprised if the Chargers decided to move on from him. But they don't have a dynamic tailback right now. They don't have a great run-blocking offensive line that also sustained injuries last year as well. Um, once they get a running game, I think that we'll actually see the full potential 
of Justin Herbert. And I think some of that will come in due time because you have guys like Josh Palmer who are still developing. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, the, the injury injuries to all the receivers, Keenan Allen, Palmer Rudd's obviously out. They were growing the guys who were on the practice squad, you know, by week nine. I remember walking into the locker room and seeing Keelan Doss and Jalen Guyton, guys that I had known for being, you know, either special teamers or practice squad guys. And that's no slight to them, but you know, they're not difference makers. And I think if the chargers are able to bring in some more difference makers, if Quentin Johnson can take another step as a receiver this year under Jim Harbaugh, then I, I think we'll see Justin Herbert has full potential, which is an MVP Hall of Fame caliber quarterback at his best. Yeah, no, I think it's one of those where you have to look at the Harbaugh addition and what the track record looks like for the new coaching staff coming in and and try to get the most out of this from a distance. You're right there in the middle of it in Los Angeles. Fact or fiction, Chip Kelly may leave UCLA for an OC job. It's been out there the last week, week and a half. He did not have a great recruiting class. We're in a whole new world of name, image, likeness, trying to beg players to get out of the portal. Could you see Chip Kelly bolting here in the next week or so? Fact, I could see him bolting. I I wouldn't be too surprised. I know it's a little bit later in the game. And obviously for UCLA, it would be a tough blow as they make the transition over to the Big Ten. But obviously I saw the same reports that you did about, you know, potentially him and Dan Quinn, you know, being an off to the coordinator head coach package for the Seattle Seahawks. I wouldn't be shocked at all if if Kelly ends up, you know, getting calls about being an off to the coordinator. When you look at the state of football right now, I think that some of the principles that he obviously brought in and applied when he was with the Eagles 10 years ago, um, you know, has obviously developed and morphed. And I think that, you know, Shanahan offenses are in vogue right now, but you know, when you watched UCLA last season, I saw a team that, you know, still had that Chip Kelly, you know, little sparkle. I know that they didn't uh, produce at a high level. Obviously, the quarterback play was subpar this year. Um, but I still think that Chip Kelly, he's, he's got it a little bit. He's not at the same level as he used to be. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if he ended up leaving. Just because it feels like this, the marriage between UCLA and Chip Kelly has kind of, you know, run its course. I know fans have been upset about everything, but... I mean, I, I, I could definitely see him leaving. All right. One other thing. You're an L.A. guy, right? I am. Through and through, right? <laughs> right? I mean, in terms of fandoms, no, but yeah. <laughs> okay. so, so Harbaugh now arrives. You have one ticket. Uh, Chargers, Rams, Lakers, Dodgers. One ticket. Kalen Jones, where do you go now in L.A.? Where's the buzz? Because when Harbaugh shows up, you know it. I know it. I'm a SoCal guy. The bandwagon fans are going to show up from everywhere to be a part of Jim Harbaugh. So that's the greatest thing ever, even though nobody showed up at their games. What's the hot ticket now in L.A. that Harbaugh's on the ground? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot. I'm a football fan, so it's hard for me not to say the Chargers or the Rams. But, I mean, it's got to be the Dodgers. You know, they got Shohei Otani and Yamamoto. That's going to be incredible. I think well, that they're going to be LeBron. LeBron doesn't move the needle anymore as much. LeBron does move the needle. I've seen LeBron enough times, I think. That's what it is. I've been fortunate enough to go down the street. You know, yeah. their, their tickets are yeah. cheaper now because they aren't good. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. It's good seeing you. Stay well. Stay safe. Thanks. Of course, Brad. Thanks for having me. You can see Kalen Jones' work. Find it on The Messenger. We appreciate Kalen as always. And we're back with more after this timeout. All right, as promised, as we get into spring training right around the corner, we want to have Fox baseball lead analyst, the Hall of Famer, John Smoltz, with us for a few minutes on a bunch of things around baseball, but also golf. If you had trained here rather than with the Braves, 
because it's a different layout out here in spring training. How many courses do you think you would have hit, John? Oh, man, I would have hit a lot. Yeah, the, the travel would have been a lot easier in Arizona. But um, the time that we had to get things done allowed us to play a lot of golf in spring training. I know we took a lot of grief uh, from our players, but they realized that we were getting in there at 6, 6.30 in the morning, getting our work done, right. then go out, throw our bullpens. Bobby didn't believe in hanging around, doing you know wasteful shagging and time-killing things. So he told all the new players that would come in or any signees, say, hey, you see those three guys? They're going to be gone by 11. Don't worry about it. Um, they're going to be the reason we we win during the year. So it was uh, it was the reason, part of the reason, and well, actually a major part of the reason I stayed as long as I did. I loved the routine. I loved our manager. And certainly uh, the 10 years that we were at Disney for my family was unbelievable. Um, just the surrounding opportunities for the kids to do things was pretty cool. But for golf, uh, it would have been obviously more advantageous to be in Arizona. You just played TPC Scottsdale, right? In an event. I did. I did. Yeah. What do you make of that layout? You know, it didn't fit my eye for some reason. I, I think if I had to go back, I would have played it totally different, but under the gun in a tournament. Yeah. Um, it's totally different, right? I mean, I, I'm not, I'm in my golfing kind of career. I'm, I'm on the spur of the moment trying to figure it out on the fly. I don't really have the time to dedicate. Like these guys are so good, and I've had some amazing experiences that have allowed me to be a better golfer. But that was at the tail end. That was in a stretch of 27 rounds in 29 days. Oh, man. And uh, I'll be honest, I I was wiped out. I wasn't going to make it either way, but it was a great experience to see how far and really where my game is. And honestly, because of that, I'm in a total rebuild, Um, getting new equipment, trying to figure it out. I've got two new hips that I'm trying to get used to. So a lot of things I learned through failure, I did the same thing in my baseball career. I bring up golf because spring training fans are going to come out here from around the uh, the country to check out the Cactus League with 15 teams all training here, all within 45 minutes of one another, too, which makes it perfect. And TPC Scottsdale is one of those places when the front end of spring training opens where fans should go. If you were to play in the Pro-Am, I don't know if you've ever seen 16 during the, se- during the, the tournament, the craziness of it. If you were to play in like a Pro-Am there, could you – would you want to have people booing you, screaming at you, talking about your girlfriend in high school and all the stuff that goes with it? I think you'd have to come to grips really quick with what that was going to be like. And the pressure to hit a good shot would be pretty high. We have a similar, but not the um, animosity or the volume at Lake Tahoe in yeah. hole number 17. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, you get a little bit of goosebumps when you get there and you see that many people lined up, not anywhere close to, TPC, but it's different. It's kind of um, taking golf by storm, if you will. And it, it's it's mind-boggling. You just can't imagine it until you see it on TV. And I'm sure when you're there, everybody knows when they're pr- pulling up to that tee box what kind of shot they need to hit. Yeah, when I talk to the pros about it, they say they can start hearing the roar around hole 13. <laughs> And then when they go up through the tunnel, they said it's like going into the Roman Coliseum in all likelihood because you hit a great shot and they're all over you. You hit a bad shot, they're all over you times 10. 
And, yeah. And there's something to it. Um, John Smoltz with us for a couple of minutes. Fox, Major League Baseball, lead analyst, Hall of Famer. Uh, nice enough to take some time to talk some spring training with us. In this offseason, what has caught your eye most, John? Well, just uh, state the obvious, the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, it has been kind of – I think everybody anticipated that Shohei Otani was going to stay on the West Coast and probably go to the neighbors of the Dodgers. I don't know that people could have anticipated that kind of contract, uh, the details of it, uh, the uniqueness of it. And I think the big thing is um, they are not done. And they made the trades for a pitcher, signed Glass now, and then went out and signed a 12-year contract. So I said this, it's very intriguing, a lot of pressure on the Dodgers. But if you're a baseball player playing for the Dodgers, that's the way you want it. You want to have the pressure on you coming to spring training, and now it's about championships. You know, the Dodgers and the Yankees – primarily have been about championships, right, from the history of their organization. So this is a kind of a big stamp towards trying to get that accomplished. You bring Yamamoto in as well, and there's a lot of conversation about is this good for the game of baseball, the Otani contract, what is that setting up towards? Can you address that a little bit? Yeah, it's unique. I think it's more to speak about the player and his willingness to do something. This is a copycat league. It always has been. Once somebody – kind of embarks on a unique contract, then you see a lot of teams and a lot of players going after that. I don't know if this is going to be one of those. Uh, this is unique in every aspect. There is a 43 or $44 million, um, you know, hit to the Dodgers, but this is all about now one of the, the greatest generational players in the history of the game. There's marketing all over it. There's a business side to it all over it. Trust me, Otani and his unique special talent and really his unique personality allowing this to happen did create creativity for the Dodgers to go and do exactly what we just said with the other two pitchers. And the one thing I'm surprised about, honestly, is that for Otani to be the greatest player in the world, he, he needs to do both things. We know he can't do it this year. But how much will he be able to do it in the length of that contract, which would be very unique, because I don't think the Dodgers signed them to just be a DH or an outfielder. So that's what's going to be. I'm going to be very intrigued. I root for him. I wish that he stays healthy. But two Tommy Johns is two Tommy Johns. And that's that's the unknown factor in this in this contract. Take a step back on the Rangers because they train out here and the Diamondbacks obviously being here. The two World Series teams that you broadcast and you saw, what do you look at them from the lens coming into this season in spring training? I think it's a perfect example of why baseball can be played two different ways and have success in two different ways. The Diamondbacks are not going to have the payroll of the Dodgers. Matter of fact, they may not have the payroll of the entire length of the contract of Shohei Otani for whole for, for five, six years. Who knows? But Good what point. they figured out with the rules and the changes in baseball, they can put pressure on teams in a different way. And I think that uniqueness and taking advantage of that skill set is why they shocked everybody. I think it's a great story. Um, I think that teams are going to start copying that kind of narrative. They can't all copy the Dodgers and the Yankees. They just can't. And I think baseball is unique. That doesn't guarantee anything. But when you play the game right and you use the pieces that you have, the, both the Rangers and the Diamondbacks, in totally different ways, played the game and obviously ended up in the World Series. The Rangers relied on a heavy, quick strike, big-time offense. 
um, that did not steal bases, that did not create havoc on the base pass. They created havoc at the plate with the long ball, whereas the, the Diamondbacks had a combination. And I think they're just starting to begin to understand what they can be, even though they have a monster in their division, even though the payroll is is not even in the same atmosphere. I think they feel like they can compete with anybody if they play their game. Mm. And the Rangers coming back in, we'll see them out at Surprise Stadium in spring training. What do you make out of Bocha's squad? I think the Rangers are all about the health of their starting pitching. Now, they've already had a couple that just, uh, you know, are not going to be able to pitch this year. But they showed they showed the combination of leadership, true heart, and everybody pulling in the same direction. I think baseball, again, we want to we quantify everything. We want to put a stamp and an analytic on everything. And the Rangers showed why. If you have it in balance and you're not out of whack, that you can do something in the history of game that's never been done. There is no chance that you can tell me that a team's going to go 11-0 on the road again. It just doesn't seem like that's even possible. To go where they came, to, to, to do what they did from Seattle to Tampa, all the way and in the journey of their – that just speaks to what special sauce they had in their locker room. And I people ask me all the time, like, how do you explain it? I said – there's no analytic to explain it. It's a special sauce. It's something that only players know that when they step in that locker room, they believe in something that the outside world has no idea about. Now, whether they got mad and probably did from Seattle to Tampa, it spurned a focus, but their manager is a huge reason why this game is not as easy from the outside looking in that anybody can manage. Like anybody can take the information and run the gamut. That's not, and it's never been that case. And I think we saw the evidence of it this year. Before I get you out of here, and I appreciate your time, John Smoltz with us, the Hall of Famer Fox lead baseball analyst. There's new bench bosses, just movement. Council goes over to the Cubs. Bowmel goes up to the Giants. The Padres, you know, the Angels. There's just new managers, Guardians, of course, uh, over in Goodyear where they train. Is there a team or two that you're interested in seeing how spring goes for them with the new managers, John? I think the Chicago Cubs are going to be an intriguing one because they've always been in the mix of, you know, when we had TBS, it was WGN and TBS, right? It was the Cubs and the Braves. And the Cubs have always had this incredible, unique, not only stadium that they've retrofit, their locker rooms. It's almost like they fit into what's going on right now. And they shocked a lot of people last year for a while, especially the way that made the run. But I didn't see that move coming, uh, to be honest. So to have that interdivisional managerial move, uh, to me, is going to be very intriguing to see how that shapes the Chicago Cubs in a division that pretty much is winnable by anybody. Uh, you can make that, that that claim. So that was an interesting and kind of surprising uh, move uh, that uh, it would be interesting to see how it plays out. Appreciate your time. Let's get to the course off your frost delay. Thanks, John. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is John Smoltz, the Hall of Famer, Fox lead baseball analyst. And we're back with more after this timeout. <laughs> 